Hey up, me ducks, Tony Todd here. Now then, I'll tell thee. This episode of Diabolical contains spoilers for Candy Man 2021. Ho 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 ho, mustn't grumble. This is Diabolical. Comedy podcast where four long suffering friends dissect films, most dastardly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host, Gaz, and this week's movie is 2021's Candyman. So, Peril Pals, spray that bee with bee spray! Stay out of that laundrette. And for the four in attendance and the thousands listening at home, let's get Diabolical! sleeping at home <laughs> not now not anymore <laughs> what the hell is your dad doing oh don't worry he's having a stroke <laughs> <laughs> the dog looked quite disconcerted for a second there but she's laid back down now <laughs> i'm really glad that i earnestly tweeted the other day that we start every show with the word welcome and now you've just killed that yeah thanks gas oh really <laughs> Have I always said welcome before? Yeah. Every time. Welcome to Diabolical, yeah. Ah, I can redo it. Variety is a spice of life, <laughs> isn't it? Hello and welcome to this week's pod. Joining me, as always, are the panel of peril, who will compete at the show's close to see who can improve the villainous plan of the week the best. I'm joined, as always, by Ben, Craig and Adam. And joy of joys, as you're dealing with G-Sizzle as your host, you're going to have to reckon with the return of the Mr. and Mrs. game. This time around, we're going to try and figure out one another's favourite legacy sequel, film or TV series. First of all, let's see what everybody thought might be Craig's favourite legacy sequel, film or TV series. What say you, Ben? Ben say... It used to be Tron Legacy, but now it's Top Gun Maverick. What say you, Adam? I say it is the terrible Matrix Resurrections. Terrible? You're terrible. (laughs) You're terrible times infinity plus one. Uh, That's what you say. (laughs) What I say is Craig's favourite legacy sequel is... Creed Ooh. by last week's director Ryan Coogler. Oh. I can tell you that it did used to be Tron Legacy, but since it came out, it is now Blade Runner 2049. Oh. Oh. I was stuck between that and Matrix, and I went for Matrix. Next, we're going to be guessing Adam's favourite legacy sequel film or TV series. I struggled with this one, I must say. So I went back to something fairly safe. And I went with Star Trek from 2009. Mm-hmm. Oh. Star Trek from 2009 crossed my mind, but I think because we did Wrath of Khan and there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm from Adam about it, I thought <laughs> probably not. I couldn't get a word so... in edgeways with you lot ranting and raving. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know what I was just about to say? Because I know that Adam has great taste, but fuck that. I'll leave that out now. I thought it could be Terminator Dark Fate, but I went for something else. I went for Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, 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 oh. Oh. I love Mad Max Fury. I'm kind of banking on that. (laughs) (laughs) And I went for Adam, funnily enough, Blade Runner 2049. Well, sorry, guys. I've got to say, it's Jurassic Park. Jurassic World. World. Jurassic World. Wow. <laughs> oh, do you know what? That did cross my mind. Bilga. Yeah, it crossed my mind. The reason I didn't go for it in the end is that it's not very good. <laughs> I like Jurassic World. Yeah, more for you. It's all right. It's fine. So you didn't enjoy it, sucker. <laughs> didn't say that. So it's all right. It's got Jimmy Fallon in it. It's all right. <laughs> Has it? Where's he in it? He's like the Mr. DNA in the spheres when they're traveling around. Oh, the park. Shoots a fifty cal bullet at a piece of glass, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah it's they have him on the on the ride as well in in Universal Studios as you're queuing up. He does like some of the announcements on the ride too. It's really That's good. Really cool. All right, stop boasting. I like Jurassic World because it kind of defied my yes, expectations of what absolutely. it was going to be by not being about a world overrun by dinosaurs, mm. but by being about a shitty theme park. And the yeah. Mosasaur is is amazing. But I didn't really like the hybridized baddie T Rex thingy. And didn't like Chris Pratt training raptors. I thought that was silly as fuck. They put a lot of stock in that raptor. Bluey. Got pretty much the biggest running storyline in, in the final installment of Jurassic World Dominion. Yeah. Still haven't seen Dominion. No, I haven't seen it yet either. But all I hoped for it was that it would be a world overrun by dinosaurs, not, you know, locusts. I, I've seen someone called Gaz loving that film. You are. You slagging me. Jurassic World Dominion. You you loved it, didn't you? Ah, shit. Mm-hmm. Absolute dog shit. <laughs> for, for more cutting commentary like that, check out Gaz's letterbox. Yeah. <laughs> Who are we up to? You. Okay. What did everybody think would be Ben's ben. favourite legacy sequel film or television series? Well, I'll go... We'll go with oh. Adam first. Okay. Well, I just picked a random one. I was thinking, okay... What can we go? And I just went for The Muppets. Yeah. 2011. The one with Jason Segel. Jason Segel, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Though. It's not as good as Forgetting Sarah Marshall, though, with the Muppet Dracula musical. That's fucking brilliant. That is very good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. That is actually, yeah. We've discussed that Ben doesn't really watch movies or hasn't for a while. So I think that his favourite legacy sequel will be Creed, if he ever gets around to seeing it. <laughs> but given that he probably hasn't seen it, I went for The Force Awakens. Well, I nearly went for Force Awakens, but then I went for something that we discussed on the Willow episode. So I've gone for Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Mm. Now, it's funny you said that, because when you said during your uh, preamble to this, film or TV series, I forgot that we were allowed to pick TV series, and if I had remembered that... So did I. Oh, well, there you go. That's fine, then. (laughs) Because Gaz would have been correct if I'd have realised it was a TV show. Damn. Damn and blast. (laughs) (laughs) But a film I really enjoyed, and Craig, you're also right, I haven't watched Creed. A film I really enjoyed, fairly recently, actually, was... uh, 
Blade Runner 2049. Oh, wow. Oh, my word. I thought you were going to say Candyman. I was going to say that was fucking recent. <laughs> Can't believe for Blade Runner 2049. Oh, it, was a, it was great. Yeah, it's brilliant. High five for Blade Runner 2049. It really got me hyped for Dune. Yeah. I think that's when I watched it in the run-up for Dune. Dune. Oh, I love Dune. And I especially love the bad lip reading song, Heaven Drips. Shout out to Heaven Drips. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What did everybody think might be... My favourite legacy sequel film or TV series. If I had remembered that we could pick TV series, I probably would have said Twin Peaks Revival. But because I didn't, I said the excellent, nay excellent Matrix Resurrections or Top Gun Maverick. But Matrix Mm. Resurrections is my answer. I was torn between Matrix Resurrections and Mad Max Fury Road. So in the end, I opted for Fury Road. Both solid choices so far. What does Adam think might be the correct one? I believe I've got another solid choice. Judging by your reaction when you went to see it, I've gone for Top Gun Maverick. Mm, mm, mm. When you said judging, I was sure you were going to say Dread. So did I. And I was going to say, that's not a sequel to Judge Dread. <laughs> oh, that is a bloody awesome film. I love it. Yeah, but not a sequel. No, no. It's a legacy, isn't it? It's a reboot, I would say. Yeah, yeah. a bit different. Well, my actual answer is... Halloween 2018. Ah, oh, see, I oh. almost said that. Oh, and that had crossed my mind as well. Which is mm. uh, a sequel just to the first film. Yeah. Bugger. So did anyone get anyone's? Don't think have we Have we ever got anyone's? <laughs> are, we, are we still zero for seven or however many yeah. then? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> as it's so fresh in the memory... I've gone slightly off the beaten path with the news from 2021, so brace yourselves here. The African Continental Free Trade Area comes into effect. Oh, yeah. Pope Francis... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot all about the African Intercontinental Free Trade Area. That's uh, so Turner's favourite news from 2021. <laughs> That's just the first one. There's plenty of good stuff on the way. <laughs> Pope Francis meets Ayatollah al-Sistani in Iraq, the first meeting between a pope and a grand Ayatollah. Ooh. A container ship named Ever Given runs aground in the Suez Canal and disrupts global trade. Oh. That's a bit more well-known. Oh. The Mongolian presidential election is held. It doesn't say who won, and I'll be damned if I'm going to duck-duck-go it. <laughs> El Salvador becomes the first country in the world to accept Bitcoin as legal currency. The World Health Organization endorses the first malaria vaccine. And films you've never heard of that were released include SAS Red Notice, or Wildcats, Sexy, Major Grom, Plague Doctor, <laughs> No Sudden Move, and Escape from Death Block 13. Yes. Wow. I very much look forward to never seeing any of those. <laughs> <laughs> he correctly predicted that I had not seen any of those. <laughs> the poster for Escape from Deathlock 13 is particularly funny. They've got a young Charles Bronson lookalike with a shotgun <laughs> pointing in the air like Dean Lerner. It's, uh, it's quite funny. <laughs> like the cover of Chopper where it's like... Uh... Oh, no, not, not nowhere near the quality of that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Candyman, a legacy sequel to the 1992 film of the same name, follows new lead Yahya Abdul-Mateen II's Anthony as he gets drawn into the myth of Candyman. Cabrini Green has changed a lot since the original film, and its gentrification is portrayed as an act of violence against the underprivileged community that have been displaced from there. Modern artist Anthony will soon learn the myth of the Candyman who haunts the former housing projects, and become obsessed with uncovering the truth behind that myth. His only helping hand comes from a local laundress owner named Burke. Directed by Naya DaCosta, who co-scripts along with diabolical favourite Jordan Peele and Wynn Rosenfeld. The film took $77.4 million at the box office against a $25 million budget and is classed as a successful disappointment. Acting as a legacy sequel, standalone tale and reimagining of the titular boogeyman, Candyman is a monster of a film that serves many masters. But did you think it did so successfully, chaps? Well, uh, I don't have strong feelings about the old Candyman films. I've seen them. Well, I've seen the first one one month. Didn't really have any expectations going into this, but I thought it was just fantastic. Delivered on every level for me. And in that same vein, may I be the first to say, no, I didn't like it. I thought it was predictable. Hmm. Sometimes it's boring. I didn't really care about any of the characters. I did love some of the visuals. I liked the bit about it being a legacy uh, sequel and stuff like that, and the way they tried to tie it into into the original. And I loved the social commentary about gentrification, but I just felt that it was just on the edge of going somewhere and it never actually went anywhere. And I just thought, well, you know, good visuals do not a good film make, essentially. Mm. Fair enough. Bad. I really enjoyed it. And then I think the Candyman, the original one, during our uh, our youth, it was kind of a bit of a legendary horror. Do you remember it coming out and everyone was, say, you know, everyone was really excited to see it because it was so scary and then everyone would kind of tease each other to do it in the mirror. Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. Yeah. Yeah. So, you fucking pussy. Say it one more time. No. <laughs> a camera acts like a mirror to the soul, my friend. <laughs> and so I thought, is this going to be much good? So I kind of dampened my expectations. But as soon as you saw those kind of reverse uh, logos and the kind of discordant candy man, I thought, oh, no, this is going to be good. And uh, it didn't disappoint me. Yeah, they... Opening credits, I found them really disorientating, but I enjoyed that. Yeah, the shot upwards at the the skyscrapers. Yeah, yeah, but they're kind of they're, they're not anchored to anything, and mm. you're not either. And it's a weird angle, and because you're pulling away from them, and normally you'd be pushing into them and anything else, it was all very disorientating. You should have just uh, put a mirror behind you and turned around and watched a mirror. You but I was enjoying it. <laughs> Because <laughs> that, that's, that's obviously an angle that you, you know, you're told technically you shouldn't do because it is disorienting. Mm. And obviously they've just lent right into that. And that was great. But I was actually talking about the logos before that. You know, when you see mm. the Universal right. in mirror form. Yeah. 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 Monkey pool. Yeah, that was cool. It was cool. That, yeah. yeah. I think the best word I can use to describe the actual opening credits is just sickly. Mm. That tracking shot, looking up at the foggy tops of the skyscrapers, is very good. Yeah. But my my general opinion of the film quite quite surprised me actually. It's the second time watching it, which, as we talked about previously, is quite a lot of the time where you form a more concrete opinion of the film. 
I didn't particularly rate it, if I'm being honest. I really, I really <laughs> loved it the first time I watched it. Yes, I, I thought it was it was quite muddled mm-hmm. in terms of its message, what it's trying to say. I don't think it really it doesn't do much with it. Mm. Besides that final sequence uh, where Candyman takes out the police, which is incredibly satisfying, it, it yeah. just feels like it doesn't dig into it as much as it could. Yeah. The score isn't a patch on Philip Glass's score on the original. It's like a, mm. a poor, distant mm. relative of that. Yeah. I mean, it it's shot quite well, but at the same time, I think it's quite workmanlike, particularly that final scene. Um which is glorious, but it, I just feel like it could be a bit more dynamic in yeah. in how it's shot. And like Turner said, there's not really any great characters. Like you've got um, Nathan Stewart, Jarrett's gay brother, and he's just he serves no purpose in the film whatsoever. He, he like he's there for other people to bounce off, and then he just vanishes about half <laughs> before the end. Mm. I get maybe fridging your only gay character might not be a good thing but just fucking kill him have the candy man kill him <laughs> although say, saying that that's part of the kind of the recontextualization of the character that he doesn't kill african-americans and residents of cabrini green this time around because that was quite a big criticism of the original at the time yeah i think that character the brother does serve a purpose in just that he's got a counter opinion on gentrification and he's got a counter outlook to mm. the main character. I think yeah. that's all he needs to be, really. He's the only one that do- that takes it seriously right from the start. Mm. Actually, probably jumping the gun a bit here, but he has my absolute favourite line from the film. I think his uh, his boyfriend says, should we, should we try it? You know, summoning the candy man? And he just goes, yeah, no. Black people don't need to be summoning shit. <laughs> yeah. To me, he didn't need to be more than that. And yeah, I think killing him would have just been fridging him. There wouldn't have been any reason for that. That's not the natural conclusion for his character to me. Mm. It felt like a kind of some some of the victims just felt like it was just like a scream type thing where it's like, oh, it's like a, a you know, a lone cheerleader in the shower type thing. It was so set up and it was just boring. That schoolgirl kill is so random as well. Yeah, they just bring her back in, isn't it? That I still can't work out where that comes from. Well, it's she's in the the art gallery at the start, isn't she? Yeah, but yeah, it's her. But and I was like, well, that's such a weak link. Yeah, just a sort of it's, it's like a Chekhov's gun in a way, is in mm. a way a victim, isn't she? And then eventually, oh, here she is. She's a schoolgirl, and guess what's going to happen now? Isn't it both a nod to the legacy audience of the original because they respond to it in the same way we said we did when we were kids, you know, doing the Candyman ritual in the mirror, but also about the way Western people tend to infantilize foreign culture. So she's gone to this exhibition that's very clearly not making light of this uh, legend, but she's decided to go and try it like it's a silly little game. That's that's what I took from it. I I saw it as a nod to the spread, how the story, the legend, it's kind of being revived and continues to spread. I, I think they make a big point of showing the girl in the cubicle. Yeah. And she's the one that's going to go on and tell that story, right? Mm. And I thought that that was the point they were making there, is how this yeah. legend's being reborn. Well, they do overtly say that, don't they? Well, he says at the end, doesn't he? He said, tell, tell everybody. Everyone, yeah. yeah. I just thought that there could have been so much more made with the social commentary about gentrification. I thought, okay, 
this is going to go down that kind of some sort of a route there. And it didn't, they sort of made a statement and then that was it really. Yeah. That sparked something in me to have a look at it. And I just thought it was a waste of the opportunity. Yeah. Even down to, um, obviously it's an important line. It's a big moment. Tony Todd only being in it mm. for that final sequence. I was waiting for him the whole film. Yeah. Cause he's obviously going to be in it. Why can't you just flip between him and mm. um, what's the name of the new guy? I've got it. Uh, Sherman Fields. Sherman. Yeah. Yeah. Why can't you flip between Daniel Robertson and Sherman Fields and like some of the other Candyman as well mm. during the course of the film? That's what I thought there was going to be towards the end. There was going to be some sort of like when you f- when you find out there's been loads of Candyman over the years. Mm. I thought it was going to be like that. You know, there'd be something in there with that, but it never. Well, presumably they were hoping to set up a new. Mm. series and that 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 would be explored in future sequels i thought that was really well done it was the idea of this hive of, of mm. candy yeah. the first time i watched it that reveal really took me by surprise because i'd seen the um shimmer fields in the trailer and thought what the hell is that all about because it, it also sort of echoes what's her face in the original um oh, she's the the main character studying a PhD investigating the Candyman and she goes into a toilet. Helen, whatever she is. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, she gets mugged by a guy pretending to be Candyman in the original. Mm. I assumed it was going to just be echoing that, but yeah, it was a, a, an interesting surprise to find out there's been more than one Candyman. Mm. I, I didn't find it more predictable than any horror film that follows a certain formula. I thought the death scenes were pleasingly gruesome and sort of inventive. I think the victims were appropriate for the theme, yeah. all linked to the art world that was appropriating the legend. I didn't think the film was without its visual flourishes. A couple of things that I noted, the bee in the mirror was sort of attacking, for the home viewer, attacking the screen, like it was trying to come out yeah. of the screen to get you. And in the gallery, when Candyman first attacks... He tears the canvas and it's like he's tearing the projection screen in the cinema. Body horror stuff, the the hand scarring and stuff is is solid horror stuff. Why do uh why do they always pick at it, by the way? Yeah. You know, like in a fly. That's so gross. <laughs> well, just leave it alone. Yeah. The scene in the the mirrored lift, I found that that's immediately terrifying before anything happens. In fact, just the, the mirrors are scarier than, than any <laughs> event could have been. Yeah, who designed that? <laughs> yeah. Although, what I would say is, one of the biggest scares for me was at the 46-minute mark when Finley goes to the bathroom and um, the screen goes black for um, 60 seconds and then I realised that my Prime app has crashed and I've just been sat alone in the dark <laughs> for a full minute. <laughs> I shit myself. <laughs> I was just wondering then. I was like, I don't remember this. Well played, Universal. Well played. <laughs> uh, talk about those flourishes. Just there was, there was one I thought was excellent. And this is when Anthony had gone to talk to the critic in her apartment. Mm. And she's in the bathroom. That's the bit I was talking about, yeah. Yeah, he's in the mirror. I just, I love the way that was shot anyway. Yeah. But then when she kind of catches him in the mirror, you just see Sherman Fields just kind of lean out yeah. in the reflection. And it's like, it was brilliant. 
I really love that yeah. touch. Yeah, I love that. The payoff to that sequence is good too, with the pull out from the apartment block. Oh yeah, yeah that was. Yeah, that was one of my favourite sequences. You're watching it from outside. I I don't yeah, think I've ever yeah. seen anything like that in in horror for. I thought it was really yeah. It felt yeah. Fresh. I love that. It was good. And I wouldn't say that there are no memorable characters or performances either. My favourite was uh, Coleman Domingo from Fear the Walking Dead. I was a fan of his before this. His switch to being so unhinged is he sells it. It could have been out of left field in the wrong hands, but the way that he plays the character, all the tension brimming under the surface. Is he Bert? Yeah. Yeah, Bert, yeah. yeah. So I, I really I liked his performance and I thought his character was memorable. I really like Yaya too in the lead role, Anthony. I think he was great. I think his descent and his transformation and his motivations were interesting. He wasn't just like this good guy who was in the wrong place at the wrong time or the victim. He's clearly invested in it and he's getting what he wants that could have been approached a different way to make him more sympathetic. I appreciated that about it. Yeah, he was really good. There's a shot of him after the first set of murders and it was just right in on his face. And he was kind of staring like blankly and just kind of lost in, in what he'd heard. And that's actually a lot harder to do than you think. And I think he he really nails it. You really believe that he's just had this bombshell dropped on him. I think he does that really well. I think there's an element of this that is fan service made for people who saw and enjoyed the original. I mean, one of the things that evidences this is that when it opens, it tells you you're in Cabrini Green. doesn't tell you where that is kind of expects the audience to come with some foreknowledge, uh, which is fine. And I think it does work on its own, stand on its own. Whereas, ironically, as you said before, Tony Todd wasn't in it too much. I think if he'd been in it more, that would have demanded that you have some tie-in to the originals. I think the point was that Cabrini Green could be any kind of... Um, right, any project, yeah. Yeah, Chicago didn't make a difference, did it? No, but I mean, you know, normally when you get... A title card that tells you where you are. Yeah, yeah. Tells you where you are in the world as well, and this yeah. this one didn't. I'm assuming that was done on purpose. Yeah, I think so. I think with, as far as Tony Todd goes, a a single flashback like Sherman Fields' initial one in the bathroom would have done it for me. With the established lore of him being a, a painter, and then that ties in closer into Anthony. Yeah, that's a good point. Although I really enjoyed the uh, shadow puppet retelling. Yeah, that's fantastic. That was cool, yeah. The writer or director must have been watching Harry Potter Deathly Hallows Part 1 because there's a retelling of the Deathly Hallows in that. <laughs> so I thought, he's stolen that. She. Lifted that right out. She. Bet that's what inspired <laughs> it. Because Shadow Puppets did exist before Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, as we all know. <laughs> what did you think of the, um, the makeup for the Hive Turner as a horror aficionado? What, the on his face going up yeah. here that? <laughs> Turner, for the listener, has just done a partridge shrug. <laughs> Bran flakes glued to his face. <laughs> so, did you watch it on a television? Yeah, yeah. Don't know how you could describe it as Bran flakes looking at a, a low resolution image of it. You could think that, but it's it's a hive. It's indented into him. It's a hive. Yeah, I was really impressed. I thought, and it was so gradual. I think they must have done so many stages of that throughout the filming. I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you both got something out of it. <laughs> Congratulations. I hope you're very happy together. 
Just going back to Yaya Abdul Mateen's performance, there's one line reading that I really like. I think he's it's when he's in the art critic's apartment. I think they're chewing him out about his exhibit with the mirror, the Candyman mirror. He's just like, he's smiling cheekily. He's like, say it, go on. He goads her into saying Candyman. Yeah. Also, his reaction to finding out that the art gallery owner has been brutally murdered is really good as well. He's got a little smile on his face there as well. They said my name. Yeah. Yeah. That is good. (laughs) That reminds me of Mike in Monsters, Inc. When he's just got the big logo over his face in the advert. I don't believe it. I was on TV. (laughs) Voiced by Michael Keaton, of course. (laughs) (laughs) What's cool about this version of Candyman. Is it you like it? Loads? Uh, yeah, alright. Give it a fucking rest. <laughs> Tim is bullying you for liking a film? Every fucking week. It's <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> that, I, and like I say, I haven't seen the first one for a while, so I don't remember if it plays out like this, but I like that Anthony, he uses Candyman like Death Note when he realises what the circumstances are f- for a kill. He sort of pushes people into it that he wants to get rid of. Mm. It's mainly the original. Candyman's stalking Helen a lot of the time. He he wants her to, to right. do the, mm. the bonfire ritual with the baby. Mm. Ted Raimi gets off at the start quite brutally, as I recall. And Xander Berkeley at the end. Yeah. Should we move on to favourite lines? I'll go first. I don't have any. <laughs> I think I've got a couple. Serna, could you tell us what line you would like to have been in there? So long, candy boys! Got a couple of lines. One from Brianna. She says, white people built the ghetto, then erased it when they realised. Cuts to the heart of the matter. Then we've got the art gallery douchebag guy. Anthony says to him as he's storming out of the display, shouldn't you be stocking up on morning after pills for your summer intern program? Mm-hmm. And the art gallery guy just goes, that's not spontaneous. He had that one in the bank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that did prompt me to start making a list of uh, one-liners that I could just keep with me for use in situations yeah. like that. Getting tattooed on your wrist so you can just pull it up. Oh, yeah, there you go. Oh, that's a good idea. Not a, a favourite line, but there's a uh, a written thing that I thought was really cool. Obviously, the movie uses a lot of real art, and uh, there's one painting in the exhibit that says, you're obviously in the wrong place, which, uh, in a different context, has uh, different meanings in this. Yes. Shall we discuss what we thought of the villainous plot? Hatched by Burke, the laundrette owner, to create a new Candyman to haunt Cabrini Green. I suppose it depends on how often he does this, because if this is like the only time he's done it, which I think that's what the movie's telling us, I've got a lot of questions about that. Like, what was he waiting for? He could have just gone to the mirror. This perfect confluence of events. Like, why is Anthony the perfect Candyman for him? Because he, he knows, doesn't he? He knows it's the baby. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah, I forgot about that. (laughs) The baby came back. (laughs) 
Why didn't he just go to the mirror and say Candyman five times and go, you've got work to do, get on with it, come on. I'm not paying you to be hanging around in your mirror doing fuck all all day. <laughs> if there are multiple Candymans, why? Like, it begs the question, why does he need to create a new one? It doesn't really go into the lore of... They don't have an expiry, do they? Mm. But over generations, the story, stories get lost, don't they? Okay, yeah. And I think the whole point of bringing mm. a new one is, is kind of kind of bringing that back and reviving the legend. Saying it, yeah. That makes sense. Suppose, yeah, 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 yeah. But the Candyman from previous generations hands over the hook. That, that's the metaphorical you know. torch. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> you dropped <laughs> this, King. <laughs> <laughs> but let's not forget, ladies and gentlemen, this is the first film we have reviewed where the villain is successful. That's what I was about to say. Yes. yes. Which is why I'm giving it 12 florets of broccoli. Wow, <laughs> my goodness wow. me. I thought I'd see the deck. <laughs> plan goes. How integral is the bee? Because that just seems like chance. Yeah, He's just yeah. taking photos of Cabrini Green and a bee happens to be there and stings him. And it's a candy bee. What are the odds of that? Yeah. Maybe that's Tony Todd. He does that as his contribution. Yeah. But, yeah. but they cut the scene of him releasing the bee. Yeah. yeah. He barks and the bees come out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> no, he covers one nostril and just snoots out the other one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I've got it. <laughs> we noted before we recorded that this is the first one where the plan succeeds, and I guess the one part of his plan that probably doesn't go the way that he wanted it to is that he doesn't survive to see it. He gets stabbed to death. Yeah. I would have imagined that he would have liked mm. to have seen and been protected by his new candy man. Yeah. Brianna kills him. Would it not have worked better if he'd have killed Burke? Yeah. Right. Do you think it's just... But I don't know. I don't, I don't think he planned on having been killed by her. But it's sort of like an opportunistic killing, really, isn't it? Well, no, I just mean dramatically for the film. No, but then, then you'd been killing someone from the projects, right? And that's yeah, what they no, avoided. Right. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, he kind of looks not just resigned, but also complicit. Like, once he realises what's going on, he he wants to become the Candyman. Hmm. Mm. I guess I just feel like they painted themselves into a corner with... Not mm. wanting to kill anybody from the projects, they should have had a lot more take place outside of Cabrini Green so we could get more goddamn kills. That's all I want. Some good kills, more killings. How many killings? You gotta like the guy's commitment. I mean, putting a hook up someone's arm is pretty, uh, that is great. pretty committed yeah. to the cause. <laughs> I don't know. I thought the kills we got were so pleasingly gruesome, yeah. And like I said, the, the bit in the mirrored lift was frightening and it wouldn't have been quite so tense if it was just wall-to-wall gore if you were mm. that's when you become desensitized to it while you're watching yeah. a movie where there's just a lot of deaths and as soon as he went in that lift i was like well it's obviously what's gonna happen here isn't it was it, it wasn't tense yeah it was obvious what was gonna happen it was obviously yeah. something was gonna happen and that's how it builds the tension what did happen what, what do you mean what you saw it didn't you yeah but i'm asking <laughs> you what happened he looked up and he goes, there's Candyman, look at him, smiling at me, throwing sweets. And that's what you thought was going to happen when you were in the, in the lift? Yeah. Well, fair enough. Well, You're a better predictor of things than I. For me, I, I knew something was going to happen, obviously. Yeah, I knew something was going to happen, but that's not the same as it's predictable. He was going to see the Candyman. And then the sweet drops on the floor next to him as freaky as hell. I just wouldn't get in that lift. That's what I'm telling you now. Take the stairs, man. Unless it's a mirrored stairway as well. <laughs> <where you've> got... 
or like if the lip of the steps is polished to mirror shine, stay a fuck away from those steps as well. Do you remember in Granada Studios, they got that hallway that's mirrored on both sides, so it just goes forever. Infinity mirror. It's fucking Candyman's playground. That Who's is. designing these stairs and elevators? Some kind of fucking disco lover. <laughs> MC Escher. I'd just like to drop in my favourite name from the credits. Uh, oh, yes. It's going to be a quick one. It's the executive producer. His name was Jason Cloth. <laughs> I hope lots of people touch him. Very mildly amusing. <laughs> Excited for the plots. I think they're going to be good this time. Yeah. Gaz, are you doing one this time? No, no. Because that means you can't win, right? It does. Yes. You can't win the season. I'm so sorry about that, Gaz. He gave it up when he agreed to host the first one. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Uh, Turner? He <laughs> <laughs> no, doesn't know. Anyone's game. Turner's cover toes. I was. Uh, this is. Uh, unfortunately, this ep- episode isn't a poorly set up uh, legacy sequel <laughs> I easily predict what's going to happen I genuinely thought your screen was frozen then so what are you saying there ladies and gentlemen is that we're very original <laughs> this is the part of the show where the panel of peril competes for the title of this week's most diabolical and with that does not come the honour of choosing next week's movie and hosting the show what? Ah, ah, big news, big news. More on this later. What? (laughs) Bring me those plans! (laughs) In Candyman 2021, modern artist Anthony is drawn to Cabrini Green, the former housing projects of Chicago, that a succession of Candymen have haunted since their construction. In this version, the apparition takes on the form of protector against racial injustice, and unbeknownst to Anthony... Laundrette owner Burke is slowly manoeuvring him into the position of being the newest Candyman. Although Burke dies soon after severing Anthony's arm and inserting a hook in the stump, his plan is a success as the police arrive, shoot Anthony, and the cycle of violence continues anew. So, fellas, like Burke, how would you create your very own Candyman? Adam first, please. Okie dokie. Well, I think... Burke's priorities are a bit misplaced. So instead of resurrecting a legendary harbinger of death to exact revenge on unsuspecting victims who don't actually believe in him, he could actually be using his time more productively. (laughs) As I alluded to earlier, I think a great missed opportunity of this film is gentrification, uh, which they touch on for a number of minutes and then seem to forget about it. So when Burke captures Anthony, instead of fixing a hook onto his arm, he fixes a fairly large wrecking ball on a chain <laughs> instead. Isn't this a He-Man character? <laughs> uh, is it, um, what's his name? Is it Snapjaw or something like that? That sounds familiar. Yeah, sort of something, I don't know, I can't remember. Yeah. So instead of a quiet, invisible killer spilling blood hither and thither, toffee-nosed art dealers and their girlfriends, or silly daring school friends, will now be mown down by a collection of construction colossus to make way for a restoration of the past. Yes, the Candyman can summon a swarm of industrial vehicles like bulldozers, diggers and dumper trucks 
to invade a particular gentrified area and transform it back into a modest, comfortable housing that would restore the cultural history of the area so that working class and minority groups are no longer marginalised or made to live in rundown, poverty-stricken areas. So are they kind of like transformers, these construction vehicles? No, they're just like, instead of the bees, where yeah. in the Candyman's got originally, he's got bulldozers and dumper trucks and things like that all come out and just like flatten people, degentrify an area yeah. and turn it back into the way to the way it was, just a little bit smarter and everybody can, all the displaced working class and ethnic minorities can move back in and tell people like artists and financiers and, and things like that to get fucked. <laughs> I think your your reimagining of a missed opportunity is a missed opportunity. Instead of instead of construction workers, you could have bees which are famously good at constructing <laughs> hives just mm. construct these fucking massive hives for people to live in. No, they there's there wouldn't be enough bees to uh, on on that scale to turn like a city block into a new Wait. or to an old a new old style uh, housing that's why i'm that's a that's the the wrecking ball thing it symbolizes construction so that's why his, all his bees and stuff turn into these construction vehicles so a supernatural character famous for being able to summon and create bees from within his chest couldn't summon the number of bees required to do this kind of construction but could release a number of construction vehicles from within his cavity like trucks and shit hey He's my candy man. I do like the image of him opening his candy man jacket in construction vehicles swarming out. Maybe they'd still buzz. 40 ton <laughs> dumper truck just comes out and flattens schoolgirls. I enjoy it as well. I'm just querying how we're saying it's not possible to have enough bees. For, I think Ben's plan is sound. Because I'm because it's my candy man and I'm telling you there's not enough it's not possible. <laughs> That's how. We might as well just stop doing this questioning part of it if you're going to have a fucking fit every but... week and just cry. <laughs> um, Turner, I understand that you've renewed or reimagined this Candyman. Yes. But how did you actually create him? How do we actually create him? Yeah, the same way Burke did? Yeah, well, what happened was this uh, the wrecking ball they found, it was um, from a crane that magician used to used to drive. And it was an enchanted wrecking ball, <laughs> essentially. So what happened was this uh, magician died and it got buried with his corpse. And it was in the projects. And, of course, Burke went round, dug up the grave and went, there it is, the enchanted wrecking ball. <laughs> and stuck it onto his arm. And that was it. Perfect. Yeah, makes sense to me. It's so delightfully slapdash. I love it. Yeah. Thank you, <laughs> I, nah, thank you very much. It's exactly my cup of tea. <laughs> I, I had a suspicion it might. Turner's just literally swung it with a wrecking ball, an enchanted wrecking ball. I came in with a wrecking ball. <laughs> okay. If we go for Ben next. All right. So during my chance encounter with Anthony and Cabruni Green, I'd see my opportunity to use this up-and-coming artist to reignite the Candyman legend. Uh, you know what this town needs, don't you? I'd say with the breezy air of a man with no ulterior motive. Community theatre, an event we can all embrace. Something that celebrates our past and signals hope for our future. Theatre is the last bastion of artistic expression after all. This would pique the artist's interest. Oh, you want to know more? I'd continue. Still as casual as Sunday brunch. We stage 
a reimagined production of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It will be to Roald Dahl's masterpiece what The Wiz is to The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> We'd call it The Willy. <laughs> I was waiting for the laugh there. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Anthony might not make the decision there and then, but I'd ask him to think on it. Maybe we could talk on the phone tomorrow. After exchanging numbers, I'd scurry home and set to work. The next morning, I'd call Anthony. Anthony, I know you must have reservations, but I hope this will help persuade you. It's from the scene where Charlie visits his mother at work. And then I'd play him this. Ah, life in washing really ain't that much. Handling shit stained undies, it hardly clutch. But it's the life I chose, a life of dirty pantyhose. Every time you see me, I'm washing filthy clothes. I'm just a laundry guy. I saw my sister bleed and die. I'm just a laundry guy. The guilt so bad I wanna cry. Why did I scream that day? The poor hook fella could have got away. But it's the life I chose. A life of dirty pantyhose. To make up for my failings, you know I'm gonna try To make a candy man out of this handsome artist guy To make up for my failings, you know I'm gonna try To make a candy man out of this handsome artist guy yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Naturally, Anthony would be bowled over, but he might ask what I meant by make a candy man out of this handsome artist guy. Oh, Willy Wonka, of course, I would reply. The greatest candy man of them all. You should play him. You'd be perfect. You look scrumptious in hats. We'd agree there and then to put on the show. Over the coming weeks, we'd assemble the finest cast the local area could provide and begin rehearsals. As we approach opening night, I would take Anthony aside. You're good as Wonka. You're a natural, but I think we need to give the character a little twist. You know, for diversity's sake. I'd pretend to rummage through some props before pulling out a hook. Yeah, this will work. A fresh new twist that the art community will really dig. Opening night, full house. All is going swimmingly. The Laundrette Guy song in particular wowed the crowds. <laughs> During the intermission, Anthony would come in for his beloved halftime chowder, which unbeknownst to him, has been spiked with synthetic cathinones, more commonly known as bath salts. The second half would be a riot. Anthony would be busy trying to hook and eat the other actors. In the meantime, I'd call the police. 911, there's a large gathering of black people engaging in subversive activities down at the old theatre. The police would arrive to the bloodbath, guns ablazing, and Anthony would be reborn as Candyman as he was always destined to be. And me? I'd still be alive. Just one of many audience members who could tell everyone what happened that fateful night. I put it to you that your plan is the same as the one from the movie, but with a glossy song played over it to, to distract <laughs> from that. 
<laughs> we'd be putting on a, a mag- reimagined retelling of Willy Wonka called The Willy. My other thing is, I think that you, you're trying to manipulate Gaz by doing your plan in a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> <laughs> I did like the Yorkshire accent and the song. I'm slightly annoyed because I have had a song planned for some time, just waiting for the, the right plan to do it. Oh, so I was like, ah, oh. God damn it!" <laughs> I think you, you can still do that. Maybe we're not so much panache. <laughs> no, no, it won't be. It will be slapdash. Did you play that? Because I know you're learning bass, but that was lead guitar, right? No, that wasn't me. I just got a, I got a song uh, from Pixabay and just sang over it. <laughs> okay, it was very good. <laughs> yes. Any cues, Turner? No, I don't believe. I think it's pretty flawless. To be honest, I, I really liked it. I, I, obviously, the song just won me over straight away, and that was it. I, yeah. I didn't care. Everything else was just a white noise after that. <laughs> <laughs> My question would be, do we think that Anthony, busy artist that he is, would agree to join a community theatre when he's got other stuff going on? The idea I had there was, yeah, that he's an artist, and he was he, at the time he was stuck looking for a way to kind of a fresh way to express himself and Burke would play up to his uh, sensibilities by telling him that theatre is the last bastion of artistic expression. Yeah. I think artists are attracted by art and that takes many forms, not just paint or crayons. Yeah, that's yes. very true. Could be uh, <laughs> things painted on rice. Or even Lego. Lego. Paint with honey and crushed bees, maybe. Yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Just one colour there, though. <laughs> Two. Yellow and black. Famously stripy bees, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, when you mush them up. Yeah. Mush them up. Try it. Let's see. Okay. Let's hear Craig's plan. <sighs> okay, well, um, I have based my plan on a personal childhood trauma. So, uh, here we go. Candyman. Candyman, 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 Candyman. If we're reimagining Candyman for the 21st century, can't we dispense with those tired old tropes? Tired, Candyman. Wired, Candy Woman. (laughs) Inspired, Candy Creature. Bees. Bumble, Bumble, Bumble. Fuzzy little Bumble Bums. It is Halloween. My kid is dressed as a cute little bee. What sound does a bee make, honey? Bee! (laughs) We knock at the first door. A young couple answers. Trick or treat! They look hip and progressive. Hello, what are you supposed to be? (laughs) Very good. They explain that they don't give their children candy as it's full of additives. They give my child a hotel breakfast buffet-sized jar of honey. It's perfect for little bees. We give them the stink eye as we leave, but we are not scared. (laughs) We knock at the second door. A friendly man answers, trick or treat. He wears a comfy sheepskin. He has a steel prosthesis. And my kid is not scared because she has learnt about them. He gives her foil-wrapped chocolates. We exchange smiles. And we are not scared. We knock at the third door. A creepy man answers. We offer him no ultimatum. His face is pink and round. His mouth is curled into a smile, but his eyes stare coldly, unblinking. His black 
pork pie hat is trimmed with blue fur matching his slippers. His shirt is striped like a convict. His shorts are yellowed. He carries a cane but does not lean on it. Wordlessly, he hands over a single stick of licorice. I recoil. He chews on another stick. Tar brown spittle stinking down his chin. I catch its stink and the bitter flavour haunts my memory and my eyes grow slick with tears and I am scared. We don't talk about him on the way home. Before bed, we put the honey away in a high cupboard and eat all the candy. The licorice stick is discarded. While I sleep, I dream all sorts of horrors. <laughs> in the morning, I go shopping. I will need many bags for my creation. I will call him Bertie. <laughs> I like the way you started that off. I thought you were, doing, you were reading like Shatner. <laughs> yeah, so did I. Yeah. So your your Candyman is based off that villain from Doctor Who, Candyman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bertie Bassett. Yeah, he, I think he's actually called Candyman with a K. Oh, is he? But yeah, that scared me as a kid. Obviously, mine is closer to the real Bertie Bassett. But effectively, yeah, he's a, a horrible creature who is made of candy, the worst candy, disgusting licorice. Oh. Yeah, I, I think we can all agree on that. Wow. Except for guys, guys like no, licorice. I'm a, I, I'm a big licorice fan, yeah. I think Murray Mints are pretty disgusting, to be honest. I think I'd rather have a... Somebody said Murray Mint or stick a licorice, I'd probably go for the licorice. Would you? Oh, wow. Mm, mm. Murray Mints are a bit odd. Oh, quite like them. They're nice too. No, they're like... You're just... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, you could make a creature out of Murray Mints for you and call it Murray the Mintis. He was he was um, in, in the Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters stick, cartoon, stick yeah. Book, yeah. He? Uh, yeah. Uh, he was, I think I had particular difficulty getting stickers for him. <laughs> yeah. uh, just one one question that might kind of make or break your plan. How do you mm. plan to animate this licorice fellow? Supernatural being animates itself. Mm. Alakazam! It's animated from the atmosphere of the neighbourhood, right? Uh, you couldn't have a licorice wand, though, because it'd be all floppy. Oh, you get hard licorice. Yeah. And essentially, because you disqualified me for riffing on South Park with my golf. You didn't plant. riff on South Park. You lifted I, the plan I, from I, South Park. Yeah, well, you've lifted your plan from Doctor Who. But the Doctor Who doesn't involve a plan to create a man of candy to kill people yeah, and protect people you've gone i've got a massive hole here where a plan should be what shall i do i'll take a character from another tv show and just it's not the same character and hopefully everybody will just be like so carried away with well me. this is fun for the audience can we have a few more minutes of this arguing please <laughs> <laughs> i know i know how the audience will love it i i i've got i've got at least half an hour in me if you want to keep going <laughs> i i think it, i think it was a nice twist and i think bertie bassett mm. is terrifying Mm. And I also, I also like or the Doctor Who character, both of whom are original, uh, all original characters. I also like the daughter who thought the bee say bee. She does think, or she used to. Yeah, that's so cute. <laughs> I thought you were going to say quoth the raven at some point as well. The very Edgar Allan right. Poe-ish of you. Thanks for your feedback. <laughs> did you invent the character, or did you steal yeah. one from He Man? I was a bit fuzzy on no, that. No, I, I had a magician who used to drive a crane, and then he had an enchanted wrecking ball. You didn't have any of that until people started questioning you. That, that wasn't to part be fair, of your plan. To be fair, that that's original though. That is original. 
Yeah, but it wasn't part of his plan. It's not like I was stuffing myself with sweets and going, oh, I'll just nick the guy off this box and stick him into my plot. I told you I don't like licorice. So. You were outside licking a wrecking ball and you went, oh. I was, I was swinging on it, actually. Like Miley Cyrus in the nip. Yeah, that's it. And I thought, this is this is what will do for me. This is what will do for me. Oh, if Turner wins, you've got to do that as a celebratory art. Turner swinging mm. on a wrecking ball with a crown on. You better believe I will. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want Turner to win now, just for that. <laughs> I'll draw it anyway. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Okay, so to summarise the plans, we had Adam's plan to insert a wrecking ball into Candyman's arm, which uh, was a magician crane driver's wrecking ball, and Candyman would have construction vehicles instead of bees do his bidding, and Cabrini Green would be restored to its former glory then we had Ben's plan to put on a Willy Wonka musical called The Willy uh, accompanied by a fantastic song (laughs) and then um, how did it end? (laughs) Uh, The chowder was spiked with bath salts Anthony went insane and then I called the police Yes. And they did the rest as they (laughs) want to do. Indeed. And then we had Craig's plan, which took in trick-or-treating with the family and coming across a Bertie Bassett-style monster. Google Bertie Bassett, Peril Pals, at home to to see uh, what we're talking about. And even the Doctor Who Candyman with a K to find out what sort of direction Craig is heading in there. It's actually quite an easy choice for me this week. Based on the use of the fantastic song, I'm declaring Ben the winner of this week's episode and the winner of season one. And with that honour, he gets to pick his own diabolical title, which we will refer to him as during the course of season two. What title have you picked for yourself? Uh, during season two, gentlemen, you will be referring to me as, and only as, Lord Manly Supreme. <laughs> Very well, mm. Lord Manly Supreme. <laughs> and that about does it for this season. Yes, that's right. This episode, episode 20 of Diabolical, is the final of this season. Why did we not previously inform you that the show was being split into seasons, I hear you ask? Certainly not because we only decided a couple of weeks ago. Certainly not. No, no, no. But fear ye not. We will return next Monday with episode 21, which will kick off season two. We've rejigged the competitive section of the pod based on the feedback from Peril Pals, who have asked for the host to also present an evil scheme to the panel. And so, season two will comprise 20 episodes and have a new system for selecting the film, selecting the winner, and crowning the champion of season two. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we hope you'll join us for the ride. Thank you for listening to season one, and if you like what you heard, please subscribe, leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts, because that will help bump us up the charts and make us more visible. Give us five stars on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Subscribe on YouTube, 
and tell your friends in person and on social media. Word of mouth is the best tool that we have, so please give it the beans. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DiabolicalPod. Next time, Adam will be hosting. So Adam, what film have you selected as the first for season two? For our season two opener, I have gone with the 1980s classic, The Goonies. Hey. Oh, yes. Very good. Well, we'll hope you'll join us for episode one of season two, where we'll be covering The Goonies. But for now, I must bid you adieu. Goodbye and good night. Bang. Life in washing really ain't that much. Handling shit stained undies, it hardly clutch. But it's the life I chose, a life of dirty pantyhose. Every time you see me, I'm washing filthy clothes. I'm just a laundry guy, I saw my sister bleeding die. I'm just a laundry guy, the guilt so bad I wanna cry. Why did I scream that day? The poor hook fella could have got away. But it's the life I chose. A life of dirty pantyhose. To make up for my failings, you know I'm gonna try. To make a candy man out of this handsome, honest guy. Make up for my failings, you know I'm gonna try To make a candy man out of this handsome artist guy I think I got closest when I guessed that Turner's favourite invisible thing was one Star Trek spaceship, and it was a different one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was close. (laughs) Was one away, that was very close, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I thought about the Defiant, but no. Yeah. I like the Warbird. (laughs) You were defiant. I like the way you've still been considering that over these months. I have. I still think about it. Yeah. I watched Star Trek First Contact recently, and the and he goes, the defiance in that, and it and it gets, suffers damage and it's towed, and he goes, Riker goes, oh, it's a tough little ship, and Worf goes, little. Oh, so that's a slight towards the Klingon. That's how you know. Wolf's dick is way bigger than Riker's, and we already knew that Riker's was massive. Yeah, so Wolf's must be like his leg. Yeah, but Riker's dick's got a beard. <laughs> Riker's dick's so big that he can't sit down normally. He's got to, <laughs> got to approach chairs from behind. That's why. That's why he can't leave the Enterprise because his dick wouldn't fit out. <laughs> A bit cruel they built the Enterprise around him, wasn't it? Every time he lands on a planet after coming out of the transporter, he always checks his inside leg before he starts walking off. <laughs> Make sure it's all there. God. Yeah. And if it's not the right size, he has to go back up and then back down again. Chief, you've left part of my penis in the pad and buffer again. It's because it overlapped the little circle that you've got to stand in. <laughs> We're an inclusive podcast, if nothing else. <laughs> Do you like Star Trek? Do you like dick jokes? <laughs> then you'll love Diabolical Pod. Yeah. Evil schemes done better. <laughs> we got a pod for you. <laughs> Our spin-off show could be Dick Trek. <laughs>